Okay, we're continuing. This probably will be our last message on chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. We've been talking about grace giving. Now, I believe that we have truly uh, underestimated the impact of the new covenant under which believers in the church lives today. We come into our services of worship and we rejoice that we don't have to bring a sheep, a goat, or a turtle, or any other turtle dove, I mean, or any other kind of uh, animals. We rejoice in that. That's a part of our living under the new covenant because it has been fulfilled in Christ. Amen? As far as this goes. But you know, Paul in this, these chapters deal with another change, a radical change that took place because of the implementation of the new covenant. And that's the way we give. Paul actually contrasts law givers with grace givers in these two chapters. But I don't think we understand sufficiently or apply it anyway if we do the impact that the new covenant which is instituted through the blood of Jesus Christ has brought on our giving. And that's what Paul deals with in these chapters. Now, he continues to expound his treatise, what I call it, on grace giving as the way believers under the new covenant are to give of their resources, their wealth, that God has entrusted to them as his stewards. We are managers of God's gracious provisions to us. What we have do not actually belong to us. Anton just finished singing about a living sacrifice. He wants to be a living sacrifice. Well, if you are a believer, you are a living sacrifice. The only question is, what kind are you? Are you a sacrifice in keeping with God's word, or have you replaced it with your own religious intentions and so on? So, I want to impress upon you what Paul is talking about here with grace-giving is a radical change because of the death of Jesus Christ. The new covenant has been instituted through his blood, and we are to change our way of relationship to God, the way we relate to God. And one of the ways has to do with the way we give. So let's pick up from verse 1 of chapter 9. And as we go through this, I'll do, as we always do, because we're trying to follow the example of what I believe is the only true expositional example of preaching in the Bible, and that's under Ezra. But Ezra found the word, he opened it up, he read it, and he translated it so the people could understand, understand it. And the verse says, because they understood, they applied it. And that's what we're going to try to do as we go through this passage. Verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, you know, we talked about this before. Paul was in the process of raising funds for the believers in Jerusalem who were at that time all Jews. So this is a racial connotation here as well because he was trying to raise funds in Gentile churches that he founded. And so there's a real tension going on here as well as that. And it appears that he had even talked to the Corinthians before he had spoken to the Macedonians a year earlier. And when he had presented the need they came right forward and says, yes, we're going to give. They made a commitment, but they didn't follow through. Paul is now trying to encourage them, to provoke them, 
to give what they promised. He says, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry. Notice it's a ministry of giving. It's an important thing here. Giving under the new covenant is seen as a ministry. And that's so because of the nature of grace, of grace giving. It's an enablement by God. And it becomes a ministry the same way we exercise our spiritual gifts. We exercise the ministry of giving. For I know how eager you are to help. Notice, eager to help. These people in Corinth were not hesitant to show that they were anxious to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Notice now, I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece, that's of course where Corinth was, were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonians believers to begin giving. Now this is quite an ironic thing here. When Paul opened chapter 8, he said to the Corinthians, I want to show you how God is working in the Macedonian churches, how they gave readily, how they gave out of their poverty and everything else. In other words, in chapter 8, he was using the Macedonian churches as an example who's eager to give. Now, he says, when I went to Macedonia, I used you as an example of those who are eager to give. The only difference is they came up. They put their money where their mouth is, but you didn't. That's the difference. So, we have a principle here. principle is, grace giving provokes others to give accordingly and calls for faithful accountability. And these are some of the principles you're going to see through this chapter. Accountability and faithfulness when it comes to giving. Paul reveals that he had used the Corinthians, as I said, to challenge or provoke the Macedonians to give to assist in meeting the needs of the Jerusalem Christians. Now, because they had failed to fulfill their one-year-old promise, Paul now uses the Macedonian churches to challenge or to provoke the Christians in Corinth to fulfill their promise. Now, some scholars like to say Paul actually intimidated these people. He actually used intimidation. Well, I don't like that word myself. I like the word provoke. Because uh, that's what the writer of the Hebrew says. That we should consider what? How to provoke one another to love and good works. And that's what I believe that Paul is doing. He's not using manipulation, although I believe he's using psychology. He, maybe he was not aware of it, but he's using psychology to provoke, to encourage, to challenge these Christians to give what they had promised a year ago. He was encouraging them, in other words, to be financially responsible and accountable for what God has given to them. And, beloved, this is what we need to do when we consider how to utilize the funds, the resources God has given us. Are we accountable to him? Are we faithful in giving him what he wants us to give him under the new covenant? Accountability. Do you have any sense of accountability to God for the finances, for the resources, for all that you have? Or do you think that, hey, I and I alone am responsible for what I do. It's my money. I give it any way I want. That's not the kind of new covenant giving we are to be involved in. Now look at verse 3. 
I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready. Now some say, see, that's intimidation. He's sending these Macedonians who he had boasted about concerning the Corinthians to Corinth now to get this money. As I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. Now, is this manipulation or is this provoking? We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment. Now, is that invitation or is that provoking? If some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after I had told them. He says, now listen now. We're sending a finance committee along with Titus. Remember we talked about it last week. Men who were approved by the churches and everything to handle his money. There's actually a finance committee that was going to get this money. Now he says, now, I want you to be ready. He says, um, because I don't want to be embarrassed, because I've been using you in an example, and now these people that I was given an example to are coming, and I don't want them to be embarrassed because of your lack or your failure to give us ready. So please be ready. Now, if we go back to chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 16, Remember, Paul gave them instructions as to how to prepare for these people when they came. He says, each Lord's Day, by Lord's Day, you save up so that when I come, there would be no collection. He didn't want to go past the bag. He said, I want you to think about it, how much you want to give. And what you do is, each Lord's Day, you put aside so much so that uh, I would have the full amount when I come without having to have a big collection going on. And he's reminding, reminding these people about those instructions that he gave them some time ago. So a principle here is this. Grace giving is characterized by performance, not just a promise. Although we're going to talk about a little tweak in that one. In other words, it's not just saying we're going to give without following through. Like the poem was saying today. Words alone are not sufficient. Promises alone are not sufficient. You must be accountable to God. You must follow through. You must be faithful. Not just words, but implementation. Not just good intention. That's Paul is saying here. That's why he emphasizes that the way you do this is think about it, pray, come, decide based on what, you're, what you have available to you, not what you don't have. And make an amount up. If you don't have it all at once, save Lord's Day after Lord's Day. So that when I come, we don't have to gather it. He tells them that he was sending Titus and the finance committee, including these Macedonians, to collect their promised commitment. And he seems to be saying, as we'll see later on, give more than you promised last year. We're going to see this in a moment. He seems to say, you made a promise, but we want you to give sacrificially and generously now even to go beyond what you think you are able to do. Paul, as I said, had given specific instructions as to how to accumulate the funds to avoid a last-minute collection frenzy when he arrived in Corinth. Do it gradually, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Determine how much you're going to give. Do it in installments, but be faithful to your commitment. Don't do it out of pressure and impulse. We'll get into that in a moment. So what he's saying is, whatever you do, Corinthians, be faithful to your personal commitment that you made to me, to God, and to God's people. Word and promises alone are not sufficient. If you have the resources, action and performance 
are necessary. So he's pleading something like this. Don't let me down. And please don't let the Macedonians down. I've used you as a model of giving just as I'm using them as a model to you right now. So please don't disappoint us with this one. Verse 5. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I wanted to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. Now some people say, man, this is, a, this is a kind of difficult situation here. You put all this pressure on me about you sending these guys, and you don't want to be disappointed, and you want to disappoint them. Now you say you want to be willing and not giving grudgingly? So how can I do that? Paul is going to show. This is where the gift of grace comes in. Enabling grace comes in. So here's the principle. Grace giving is voluntary, but it stems from an inner motivation based on love. We saw that last time when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not based on outward pressure and manipulation, but it's based on an inward urge to be loving towards the people of God in need. So Paul is saying, I'm not trying to intimidate you, although some would say he was, but I am trying to provoke you, that's my word, to be faithful. Don't give simply because I am asking you to do so or I am compelling you to give. Give because you want to give, you desire to give. Warren Risby says it this way, and I quote him, High pressure offering appeals do not belong to grace giving. You hear that? High pressure offering appeals do not belong to grace giving. Begging, threatening, intimidating does not belong in grace giving. And I adhere to that quite forcibly. So let's go on, verse 5. Remember this a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, there are two things in this we'll see for a moment. But one of the first principles is this. Grace giving is always generous giving because it seeks a generous return. Now, we have to explain that here because what Paul is actually saying is our returns are based on what we give. In other words, we will not reap more than we sow. If you have a farmer and he goes and he sows on a half acre of property, He's not going to be able to sow what he would sow if he sowed on five acres of prophecy. However, does it properly, he will get whatever that half acre or acre produces well. He's just saying be faithful in your giving, whatever it may be. This is, we call this the principle of increase. We reap in keeping with what we sow. The more we invest in the Lord's work and the Lord's people, the more we will harvest in our, in our heavenly account, if not on earth. But as we'll see in a moment, God gives us returns, not only in a heavenly account, but also in the earthly account as well. So it's according to what we give. In other words, do you want to have a great return of blessings from God? Then you give the way God has told you to give. And that is sacrificially and above what you are able. But now bear this in mind, because this is where some false teaching comes in today. Our increase will not, all, no, will not always be in the form of money or material wealth, but is always worth far more than we give. 
In other words, when we sow love, we are going to reap much more love. He hasn't, this hasn't got to do that, you know, if you want to be a rich millionaire, you give to the Lord. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He's saying that God will reward you if you give with the right motive and intention and all of that. But it does not necessarily mean you're going to get wealth or money back. Material things. You'll be rich and generous as far as love and gratitude. And we start late in the, uh, in the passage is concerned. And blessings of the Lord. So he's actually talking about reaping because of what you give in a loving fashion. Whatever you give in a loving fashion, you're going to reap more love because of it. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much you give. By the way, let me just say this in this verse 6 here. When it talks about generous, the word might also be translated bountiful. In other words, our reward for giving is actually called a bounty by God. Remember in the old days when people used to go to war, they used to take the spoils, they call it a bounty. All right? God says our bounty for giving and under the grace principle will be a generous one. Our reward is called a bounty. But Paul is emphasizing it isn't the gift that matters, but rather it is the motive and attitude by and itch and which we give. It's the, it's the motive and the attitude. So you can have two people come up here and say, Pastor Lee, I understand that you poor. You don't got no money. You don't know where you can get food from today. And I come to give you a gift. And so he comes and he gives me $5,000. So I could go to Atlantis and all them places like that. The other one comes up. Uh, he uh, gives $5 million. All right. But now he comes up with the intention and attitude of saying that I was able to give more. He was doing it to get personal benefit, prestige, and so on. So his $5 million uh, was not worth to God as much as that $5,000. You understand what I'm saying? It's the attitude. The other one that's given said, Wesley, I just want you to be sure that you are well taken care of and you have what you need to eat and so on. I want to honor the Lord through this. That's what God is looking for. Motive and the intention. That's why he says in verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. This is why I want to emphasize here with giving. This is what I call for your eyes only. When we give to the Lord, actually no one should know what you're giving other than yourself and the person to whom you give it. Decide in your heart how much to give. Don't go asking, checking around with anybody. How much do you believe that God is impressing upon your heart to give to meet this need. So the principle here is this. Grace giving is based upon personal and prayerful deliberation. You see, some of us come to a church service or worship service and we know we got, in fact, before we come, we put $10 in there or a dollar because that's all we're going to give. We don't want to make no decision. Put your hand in your pocket, you pull it out. All right? Paul says, no, I don't want you to work in that fashion. I want you, before you come, you pray, you think about what it is that God wants you to give to meet this particular need. Now, tonight we're going to talk about a practical application to this. How do you decide who to give to? How do you decide what church to give to? What 
uh, preacher to give to, what ministry to give to. How do you make decisions on these areas? What comes first, your rent or your giving to the Lord? You know, under the under the law giving principle, they say you better give your tenth first, or God is not going to bless you anymore. God is going to take your house away if you don't give your tenth. But we're going to see that grace giving is quite different from this here. Again, let me quote from uh, Dr. Risby. He says, and I like this, we must not be sad givers who give out of pressure or necessity, but we should be glad givers who give cheerfully because we have experienced the grace of God in our own lives. And that's the point Paul is trying to make. Our giving should be based on the grace that we have received from God. We have received it freely. We are to give it freely. In other words, this verse says that grace giving is personal and a private undertaking. Not having to write out, as uh, somebody told me the other night, not having to write out on an envelope what your salary is so that the pastor could check to see if you are giving your tenth. Now, they say that some, some churches who do that because they want to be sure they get their pound of flesh, as it were. That's not giving under the new covenant. In fact, it was not even given under the old covenant. That's extortion. That's the way people try to get funds from God's people in an unholy way, unrighteous way. Verse 7. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This is New Living Translation. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Literally that means God loves a person who laughs and grins when he gives the offering. Now, wouldn't it be a surprise to you if all of a sudden somebody or some bodies get out of the, out of the pub and say, Pastor Lee, when are you going to take the offering, man? I come to give my offering. I want to hurry to give my offering. Cut your message short because I want to give. You ever hear anybody do anything like that? Now they'll tell you cut your music, I mean cut the message short, not because they want to give, because they want to get out. But have you heard anybody who ever comes to a service anxious to give? Just waiting for the moment to come when you can give. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the kind of attitude we ought to give. Under the new covenant, under the old covenant, they came with the animals and they had to come prepared, ready to give those sacrifices. Now, he says, when you come, you are to come ready to give of what God has given you. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And that's quite an interesting statement. God loves the grace giver. God, there's only few passages in scripture where you have a statement like God loves someone. Like for instance, remember the young ruler who came and he, he wouldn't sell all and God, he turned away and he says that Jesus, what? Loved him. Right? And by the way, who is the disciple that Jesus loved? How do you all know that? Does it say anywhere in the Bible that John was a disciple that Jesus loved? No. It doesn't say that. The only disciple Anywhere in the Bible says that Jesus' love was Judas. Search it out. He was the only one that the scripture says that Jesus loved. Check it out, you'll see that. Again, it just shows us how we misinterpret scripture and plant them so away and get our own theology. But we'll come up with that later on. 
Here's the principle then. Grace giving is characterized by joy and cheerfulness, not outward pressure based on manipulation. And under the law givers, that's what it was. And I've heard preachers preach it. If you don't give your tithe, you're under a curse because you're robbing God. Do you realize, friends, that you could give your tenth and still rob God? Why? Because under the new covenant, you are able to give more. So a lot of people who only give tenths when they are able to give more are actually robbing God. And most people, and there's some people who cannot give a tenth, uh, who gives, who, let me put it this way. There's some people who give the tenth and they are giving generously because it's very difficult for them to do it. They give a bun beyond their ability. Grace giving is so much different than giving under the law. And we'll see this as we continue. Now notice verse 8. Beautiful truth here. Paul, in this passage then, repeats and re-emphasizes the aspect of cheerfulness of giving under the new covenant. No threat of God's curse or withholding his blessing because he doesn't get his tenth or his pound of flesh, as we say. Verse 8. God will generously provide all your need. And that's the word that characterizes grace giving. Generously, bountifully. God will generously provide all you need. I want you to see the absolutes and the superlatives here. Generously, all. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Do you see that? I see the only thing is we misinterpret this passage. People like to say, you give to God, God can give to you so you can enjoy it and have all the luxuries. That's not what the text is saying. Look at it. It says... You will always have everything you need and plenty left over. For what purpose? Not to live luxuriously, but to share with others. You see, this is where a lot of people miss out here that God is blessing. They think that God is blessing their giving so they could live more comfortably. God says, no, no, no. I'm not giving you this blessing so that you could live comfortably. Not that he doesn't want you to, but that, I, that you will have more to give. Tremendous truth here. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Principle. Grace givers, the needs of grace givers will always be generously met by God. In other words, when we give generously, God will meet our needs generously. He doesn't say he'll meet our wants or our luxuries, but he'll miss, he will meet our needs. And the reason why he meets our needs generously because he knows that the grace giver will use what he gives to give to others. That's the principle. We give so that God will trust us with more so that we will be able to give to others. If we don't do that, that's called hoarding the resources of God. God has given us resources to help extend his kingdom, help his people. That's the primary cause. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Another principle here. God's generous supply is not intended to be hoarded, but to, be, but to give even more generously. The more God gives us, the more generous we should be. That's the principle here. This is what I call the principle of immediacy. Now, you remember when the farmer, he uses the illustration of the farmer. When the farmer plans, what does he have to do in order to get the harvest? He has to wait. 
Right? He plants, he waters and seeds and all of that. But he has to wait for the crop to come. But that's not true when it comes to grace givers. We get the blessing even as we give. It's less like the, it's like the harvest is following us. We don't have to wait for it. It comes immediately. You see. Notice the emphasis again on the all sufficiency here. All you need. Always have everything you need. Plenty left over. Pressed down, running over. It's not to hoard or to use and the luxuries for self, but to share with others. In other words, grace giving builds Christian character. Because the more we draw upon God, and we're going to be talking about this tonight, to show the differences in grace. Scripture tells us the different kinds of grace. He's talking about enabling grace here. Grace that enables us to give more than we think we can give. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. In other words, when you give from this hard attitude, drawing on the grace of God to give out of your poverty or your needs, even as the Macedonians do or did, Paul says God will be generous to you so that you will have more resources to give to others. Verse 11, yes, you will, be in tri- you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. I want you to see those words. Always. Everything. All, generous. All of these superlatives here, they show how God relates to the grace giver. The one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. In other words, God will always make it possible for the grace giver to give because God will supply their needs and above their needs. Principle, grace givers will be blessed with material resources to enable them to become even more generous givers. So if you're thanking God for what he has given you, can you thank him for the opportunity he has given you to help others with what he has given? That's the point here. The emphasis is on increase in generosity. Now, the increase is not only in material things, but it's an attitude. It's increase in generosity. It's not the increase in material wealth that's emphasized, but the increase in generosity. In other words, God increases your generosity by giving you blessings. God doesn't bless us with material resources to spend on ourselves, but to be able to give more generously to people who need. That's the principle. Verse 11, continuing. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Now he's going to give some of the results of grace giving. He says, when we take the gifts you have given us to take back to the people in Jerusalem, here's what will happen. They will thank God. That's number one. So he says, verse 12, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Notice again, it's a ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Principle. 
Grace giving will meet the needs of others and cause them to joyfully thank and worship God. That's the end result of grace giving. Thankfulness to you and worship toward God on by the part of those you're helping. Notice he says, take your gifts. This is a very interesting verse here. This is really have the idea of ministry of giving, taking your gifts. These are worship terms here. Paul sees grace giving as believers acting as priests who offer spiritual sacrifices and worship to a holy God. The word ministry in the text literally means priestly service. That's what the word means. It comes from the idea of liturgy and liturgy and so on having to do with works of service. So he sees it as a priestly service. Paul sees our giving then as sacrifices that we offer to God. Notice also, when we take your gifts, he says, to those who need them, if there is a need to be met, the grace-controlled Christian will do what they can to meet that need. In other words, grace is not looking, grace givers do not look for a way not to give. They're always looking for an opportunity to give. So if a genuine, legitimate need is expressed or made known to them, they jump at it right away because they know they are calling upon the grace of God to meet that need. Grace giving results in God's people both to give and to receive the worship and praise to God for his grace and generosity. In other words, Worship acts on two parts. First, those who are unable to give, we thank God for the privilege of giving. And those who receive it, thank God that God has given us the grace and enablement to meet their needs. And so we have worship stemming uh, from the same grace giving, act of grace giving to both the giver and the receiver. But sometimes we look for excuses to not to give, don't we? Even though we have it. Well, you know, I know there's a need there, but look there. Them people over there, they could give more. So I'm not going to give because I don't think they're going to give. And so our giving is based on what we think other people can do or won't do. Or, you know, I'm not going to give to that ministry because they're not going to do it exactly the way I want to do it. You look for all kinds of excuses not to give. Grace givers don't do that. They look for opportunity to give. If the need is real, then they respond. All right, verse 13. As a result of your ministry of giving, they will give glory to God. Did you see that? That's the word of God. As a result, Paul says, of your giving to these saints in Jerusalem, they will give glory to God. Beloved, you and I are here for one purpose and one purpose only. Everything else falls under this as believers. And that's what? To glorify God. That's the only reason why we're here. If God had saved us simply to save us from hell and take us to heaven, he would have done that the moment we said yes to Jesus. But he didn't. He left us here so that we might glorify him. And Paul is saying this is one way that we can encourage people to glorify God. By generously giving to meet their needs. Principle, grace giving glorifies God. Tremendous truth here. Verse 13. 
for your generosity to them, those who are in need, and to all believers, will prove that you are obedient to the gospel of Christ. Again, going back to the point that Pastor Albi read, what he's saying right here is that you will demonstrate that you are a genuine believer by your generosity to those who are in need. Notice, your generosity to them and to all believers, not only those in Jerusalem, but anywhere, because he is going to be talking about this, it's not only the needs of people in Jerusalem, the people of God anywhere, will prove that you are obedient to the gospel of Christ. In other words, if people see that you are a generous giver because you are drawing upon the grace of God, they would say, boy, I can see that he is a real believer. He's a genuine believer. And as a result of that, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the principle here is grace giving validates our obedience to the gospel. It validates the fact that we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now this isn't the only mark, but this is one of them, being a grace giver. Verse 14. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Now, this doesn't mean that they were buying the prayers of Jerusalem saints. But he's saying that just be a natural result. If someone reaches out to you in love and commitment and generosity, then you will commit yourself to praying for them. Isn't that right? You will have a greater sense of love and affection for them. Why? Because they see the grace of God in your life. So you need to ask yourself, as I do, that other people see the grace of God in your life day by day. Do they see the grace of God in me day by day? Because that's how we glorify God. That's how we encourage others to glorify God, by demonstrating the grace of God. So the principle here is that grace-giving will cause others to pray for you and to love you dearly, not because of the gift you've given, because, but because of the grace of God they see manifested in your life. Not thanking God for the gift that you gave them, but rather for the fact that God gave you the grace that enabled you to give. Now, here's the verse. Many of you are going to walk out here hating me today. Here's the verse. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. The way that we normally translate it in King James is what? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, if I were to ask you, what is this gift that is unspeakable, what would you say? What would you say? Don't be, feel intimidated now. Yeah, everybody would say Jesus. But I don't believe that's what this verse is talking about. You've got to read it carefully. Read it in context. Now, it is true that Jesus is an unspeakable, indescribable gift. That is true. But in this context... Actually, what he's talking about here is the gift of enabling grace that God has given to Christians. All right? So the principle here is Paul's personal praise for the gift of enabling grace that enables one to give generously, sacrificially, and joyfully. And I know most of you still ain't going to believe that, but that's what I believe the text is going to show. All right? That's what I call, what do we call it? Atelios. What kind of folk theology? You hear something so long, you accept it as true without examining it. That's what's going to happen in this verse. None of you are going to accept that because you've heard it so often, even though you might read it in context. 
So this is what I see the principle here then. Paul bursts out to God to praise and to thank him for giving the people that enabling grace to give generously. So, I put it in this way. Paul is saying, thank God for his unspeakable or indescribable gift of grace that enables a believer to give joyfully, sacrificially, and generously to meet the needs of his people wherever and whenever they may arise. Selah. That's giving under the new covenant. It's indescribable. The grace that God gives us to enable us to give generously whenever a need arises. Paul thanks God for that. He said that's indescribable. Now we can still apply to Jesus Christ, mind you. But in context, Paul is talking about the tremendous enabling gift of grace that God gives us under the new covenant to meet the needs of God's people wherever it may be found. And I think that's wonderful. How about you? So now we have to, uh, you know, Anton was singing about being living sacrifices. Tremendous. But a part of being a living sacrifice is also being grace givers. We draw upon the enabling grace of God. Tonight I'm going to expand on that a little bit more as we look at practical ways of applying these principles. So I encourage you to come out. We can give you an outline tonight as well so you can write things down. Okay? All right, we'll close out here for the night, or this morning rather, and expect to see you tonight. Amen? All right.